Hey, hi! Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Jessica Reynolds, an actor and writer you may have seen in the BBC series My Left Nut earlier this year, and who co-stars with Jared Abramson and Don McKellar, among others, in The Curse of Audrey Earnshaw, a new horror film from writer director Thomas Robert Lee that premiered at the Fantasia Festival earlier this year and is now available on VOD services today, Tuesday, October 20th. Jessica picked 13, Catherine Hardwick's 2003 Sundance breakout about a teenager named Tracy, played by Evan Rachel Wood, who starts junior high and is befriended by the slightly older, considerably wilder Evie, played by Nikki Reed, who co-wrote the script with Hardwick. It's your basic youth in revolt story, given a little more heft by Wood's fully committed performance and a supporting turn from Holly Hunter as Tracy's mom that earned her an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actress. And if you see it at the right age, you get hooked forever. This is someone else's movie. So, 13, it, it, it reads so much to me. It's funny, I've actually got the big, like one of the big original movie posters in my room oh, yeah. <laughs> that I got when I was about 13. Um, I also first watched it when I was 13. So, I mean, I think you can see the connections there. Um, but it, it's what made me, I don't want to sound cliche and a wee bit embarrassing, but it's what made me want to be an actor, you know, watching it. It really did. Um and I think it was just, I was going through everything that, you know, Tracy and it was going through. And I felt that rage and that wrath and that isolation from my family and every. I was going through the change, as you do as a 13-year-old girl. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, and I just, I, it felt so real to me. You know, it's it's such a gritty, naturalistic piece. And I was actually saying, um, when I was last talking to someone, that they're kind of the, still to this day the dramas and the movies that I'm drawn to the most are kind of social dramas and things that feel so authentic and kind of almost often like documentary feel to me and and so I think it was just seeing that and feeling so visceral and Catherine Hardwick the way she uses that camera it was like it just like sprung out to me and ever since then it's still just at the top of my list it just yeah I'm just doing the math. The film was released 17 years ago, which is impossible for me to conceive. So you wouldn't have seen yeah. it the first time around. Oh, no, no, no. So the, actually, so 2003, yeah, it was released. So I would have been five. So definitely <laughs> didn't want to say. <laughs> um, but no, it was, it was in, it was, so we had, you know, like movie stores that don't exist anymore. So we had one called Extra Vision um, in the place that I grew up in called Hollywood. Hollywood with one L. Um, uh-huh. And you could get like three films for a pound. Um, and yeah, and we would just, me and my, one of my best friends, when we were like 12, 13, we always just chose those ones because, you know, you don't have money when you're a kid, do you? Yeah. So we were just picking all these ones and they'd always end up being just like super, super indie, you know, kind of a lot of unseen films and stuff. So I kind of like accidentally, because I was broke, fell into seeing these super naturalistic indie kind of art house films. And and, I, and that's what kind of like made me love them today. I just accidentally kind of fell into them. And it, and, and it kind of boggles my mind when I think that I fell so in love with that kind of style of acting and that style of filmmaking when I was so young, when I couldn't really understand the difference, you know, between yeah. that mainstream movies in a way. Well, it's it weird. does, right? I mean, everything, when you're a kid, you just receive what's ever in front of you, right? You, you just exactly. take it in. And... So this is a film where it's 
it's kind of naturalistic and it's also incredibly hyped and forced at the same time because of, of the mm. decisions that Hardwick makes with the camera. Right? You're, mm. you're getting a, a really honest, complex performance from Evan Rachel Wood, yeah. but she's doing it in, a, in an almost theatrical mode, right? She's surrounded yeah. by excess. So yeah. how do you, yeah, how do you process that as, as a young person discovering what acting is? Like, how did you receive yeah, it? Yeah, I, I don't know. I think, and I, and I think that's what really elevated it from being kind of <clears throat> too naturalistic or too kind of on the nose. It Like Catherine's camera work and everything elevated it to be something a little bit theatrical that the, the emotions that we were seeing from Evan, that kind of story that Nikki Reed also co-wrote, it kind mm. of lifted it off its feet into this like poetic kind of whirlwind and you know I think that's exactly it it's hard it's hard to point my finger on it and say what I, I just mean I used to cry my eyes out at that film I still do and it is it's a combination of the kind of stillness of the characters with the the, the raging camera work and then the next minute the actors are now like you know keeping keeping up to that raging camera work with their performances and yeah yeah I don't know I mean, I remember seeing it at the time it was released in, in a theater and it felt like someone had just strapped rubber bands to every limb and was pulling everyone in each direction. <laughs> yeah. And it it's really, it's compelling movie making. Mm-hmm. I It also, it had this thing culturally, uh, yeah. like an, not like an artifact, but every now and then the the media... And I suppose the studio system, the, the the distributor system, figures out a way to sell something as though, like something entirely fictional, as though it's real, ripped from the headlines. Uh, mm. Nikki Reed, being fairly young when she wrote it, basing it on her mm. own life, uh, mm. originally wanting to play that role instead, mm. um, which actually mm-hmm. I think I don't know that that would have worked as well. I don't know that. Uh, there, I, uh, yeah, Reed doesn't have yeah. the. It's not an insult to her. It's just like she doesn't have the fluidity that Evan Rachel Wood has. I don't know that she could play the younger, more innocent version. Yeah, well, exactly. And that's what Nikki said, like Nikki Reed says all the time about it, that she, by the time of filming, she'd grown out of that kind of phase. Right. That, you know, the, the precursor that Evan kind of goes through. And she became the Evie character. She was that Evie character at that time, you know, more so yeah. than, than the Tracy one. Yeah. Yeah. And it also had the thing where. What was the last one? Right uh, a few years earlier. I mean, there's reality bites. There's kids, which are written by young people about young people, and mm-hmm. it's not necessarily authentic because all of the all of these movies end up, thirteen included, end up coming up to a really simple moral choice, which which works for narrative, but is also mm-hmm. very very stereotypical in terms of narrative. I mean, there's not much mm-hmm. that's different here from say Reefer Madness, where you know, an innocent character is lured into a world that's she's not ready for. But in this case, it landed with this this frenzy of um, mm-hmm. of, of self awareness of people just saying, "Oh no, that's what it's, this is what it feels like." And you said the same thing that you saw exactly. your own experience reflected back. So mm-hmm. it's it's such a yeah. I'm trying to figure out how to how to relate to it because I was in my 30s when yeah. I saw it. Yeah. And I thought, if this is what, like, I don't remember this being childhood, but then I was never a teenage girl. And mm-hmm. the intensity yeah, it, is terrifying. It's, it, it is. It's terrifying. And I think that is, that's why I kind of salute the movie and kind of owe so much of 
the way I associate with acting and my relationship with acting now because I think and it can be dangerous because Evan Rachel Wood talks about how raw she was on set you know and it kind of became so accidentally like methody and they kind of seem to give up their souls for that performance. And I think that's why, like you're saying, that teenagers went and saw that and teenagers' parents went and saw that and kind of were like, whoa, this is like, this is this is too close to home. And and that it's just a case of true raw vulnerability on screen. And that's exactly what you want as an actor. And I guess in this situation, maybe it was kind of, Evan Rachel Wood always talks about how she kind of, it was like therapy almost to her because she was going through these things. She was crying and then she was getting nurtured and kind of cradled after these scenes as an actor when she really felt like she was kind of being needed, being nurtured and kind of looked after the way she needed as a human being and as a teenager at that time. Um, and that, I think that's why it kind of just struck lucky that film did because you, you can't just do that on any film, you know, you can't always, unless you want to go full the method, but you can't always give yourself to 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 movies in that particular way it doesn't mean you have to but I think it was all just so relevant and it all just happened at the exact right time with that movie that the response was so visceral and it was so active and I think that's what the kind of intention of it was yeah it's the alchemy right it's the the sense that you're seeing something captured that shouldn't exist in 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 a film screen and you know I think about the trust that Hardwick has to engender in her actors to get them to do that. And you can see other films where she's had gifted actors and just either the film hasn't connected to them or she didn't really care about the work. And and mm-hmm. it's easy to, to knock Twilight, but a lot of other directors made Twilight movies that are all terrible. I don't blame Hardwick for that. I, I think that's yeah. the problem with the material. Um, yeah. But in something like, you know, Lords of Dogtown, where it's all about men, yeah. She's yeah. she's doing a different thing, and yeah. it's more about how men are enraptured with each other. These young men who who sort of find each other, and they just spend all their time existing together. Thirteen mm-hmm. is kind of similar in that we watch two personalities basically form a third, but exactly. it's it's so volatile and um, yeah, and, and really jarring. I was surprised to find that it. Also, really, other than a couple of cell phone things here and there, it hasn't dated. It it still feels like that's, I guess now exactly. you'd have to account for social media and things like that. I'm saying mm-hmm. that a lot these days, but mm-hmm. it feels like the, like the intimacy of friendship, the connection that they forge would be the same in any, like, in a bedroom anywhere in 2020 as opposed to 2003. Oh, de- definitely. Like, I, I still watch it and I still have the exact same reaction I mean I see it in a different way but I still have that kind of person that was watching it then inside of me and I kind of understand it, it just helped me so much and I think that's why work like this is so important you know what I'm saying about socialist dramas and when they wrote 13 I remember them saying like Catherine Hardwick just just saying this needed to be made when it was it was so urgent it was written with so much urgency it was like it needed to the film almost needed to serve the people doing it as much as the people doing it needed to serve the film it felt like and I think that is that that's a kind of like it becomes a bit metaphysical right where it's like we're going beyond the kind of movie where the film industry here this is like some voodoo magic happening here because And, 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 and Catherine Hardwick says about the movie as well that she's been trying to make a film like that ever since. And 
for so many reasons it's it's not quite happening and and things like that but sometimes like you say that alchemy just happens but and I think that that urgency of writing scripts and you know they wrote it in how many days did they write it yeah Nikki Reed says six days yeah six yeah six days possible yeah which is you know and I actually just recently wrote um my own script I'm not oh, yeah. a writer like oh well, I am a writer you are yeah I've, I've written one thing <laughs> but I over lockdown I was like you know I'm just gonna try this and in, in a similar way to 13 um it was based quite heavily on my experiences as a teenager a little bit older than 13 like 16 um a lot of kind of things to do with my cultural roots in Belfast and Northern Ireland and things like that and it was it was kind of the same sort of thing it still feels now it feels very urgent it feels very urgent because it's so relevant to kind of society that I'm living in and it, it's very fast-paced and it, it, it it's like a conversation piece right it's like these yeah. things are made because we need we, we were we're being silenced people behind this behind movies like this are being silenced women are being silenced young teenage women you know, are often just brushed off. Teenagers in general are yeah. just, you know, it's like teenage emotion, teenage brat. And that really, I, I can't think like that word brat actually really annoys me because <laughs> I'm like, but oh, when you feel it, you know, your hormones, like it's real. It's, it's, it's such deep human emotion that is so valid. And, and that's why I love watching things about teens and, and writing about that because I think even though I'm 22 now, I, I completely identify and I still understand that kind of wrath and that urgency and um, that comes with people like this. Yeah, it's always struck me as odd. And maybe it's just because as a film critic, I never really get to leave teenagehood because the films that we see are almost always aimed at that market. Yeah. But it's always struck me as very strange that people deny the intensity of teenagehood once they're out of it. Like it's almost as though you're pretending that you yourself were never... <laughs> Yes. prone to that sort of intensity or that sort of fervor uh, when you uh, believe something you know above and beyond your own existence you believe so so intensely in mm-hmm. you know music or, or culture or for me it was movies but just the sense of you know if I don't see this I'll die yes you know we know we look back now and we can think oh we were being we were being ridiculous because we had no understanding of the world but you're right we still felt that intensity it's it doesn't go away yeah, exactly. And like things like, like you're saying, music and art and movies, that is where the kind of, yeah, that's where that peace and that, like that, that sacred, that sacred little, little room where you can have and you can share that with. That's why like art is so, and it's relevant now because people, you know, art funds are getting cut and everything is just yeah. going to whatever. And it is it's so urgent for everyone, not just teenagers in their room having a half and needing to listen to a bit of music. <laughs> it is like therapy. And I know personally, and I'm sure you're the same, it's 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 the one thing that I can rely on and kind of live in when I'm at the depths of despair. It is yeah, yeah. I've been clinging um, to a lot this year. Yeah, exactly. And I think for anyone to kind of regard it as lower than, you know, any other jobs or any other importance, I think is ridiculous because it's it's necessary, it's urgent, it gets it it, it changes your life. Yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, they make you feel 
it's it's not that a movie makes me feel seen. It's that I respond to the sense that someone else sees things the same way I do at the best of times. I mean, admittedly, uh, when I was a kid, well, no, I'm, I'm getting the years mixed up, but there were friends of mine who spent a lot of time trying to get me into Morrissey and that just really never happened. But, uh, and now I feel in retrospect that like I was right, but it's, it's, uh, it is that thing where when you find someone whose taste matches up with yours, you, and you're that young and you don't really, I, I wonder what it would be like now with social media, with the internet. Cause I, we didn't have that when I was a kid, we just had, you know, books and magazines and movies. And if someone knew the thing that you knew and loved the thing that you loved, you could just be best friends forever because that's how that worked. You, you would mm-hmm. cling to each other in a world yeah. that didn't understand why you liked zombie movies quite so much. Now, it, apparently zombie movies are just common parlance uh, <laughs> and I'm less special, but, <laughs> but what it, what, what 13 grasps is that moment of connection where, Oh, you don't just like someone you love them forever. And that, mm-hmm. that bond is especially with, teenage girls in general, as I understand it, but certainly with the girls in the movie is, it's like a dependency. They need each other. Yes. And that's what's so interesting. And, you know, I I don't know if that is, I'm sure it is a hormonal thing in terms of how females and males are different. Although I don't think they are that different, but society and stuff. Um, You know, there is, you're so right. And I, it's, it's funny. I've been, I've started working with some girls that I was best friends with when I was, I was a lot younger. Oh, and then yeah. we just, you know, you grow apart and you find you're, you're still friends, but you find your different friend groups and stuff. And it's, it's so interesting to feel. And I was a bit of a wild teenager and um, as well myself. So you were, you were sneaking with... off to watch art films on video. I don't know how wild that is. <laughs> they were on some, that was on Sundays. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, but so you, uh, those connections, they, they stay. And when you're, you're so right, that kind of codependence like you see in 13 with Tracy and Evie, it is so raw and it's visceral. And it's like it's like a, f- a full-blown relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it's, it's everywhere and it's, it's so common. And I think it's like the first, I know Evan and, and Nikki always talk about how it's like they were like their, each other's first loves. And how how Evan just kind of fell in love with Nikki and how, you know, it felt like a real, it was so intense and just, just like their characters are that you're, you're so right that it is that kind of codependency. And yeah, and it's, it's something that teenage girls need when they're growing up. I think they need that yeah. intimacy with people that aren't just men. Yeah, you know? sure. I mean, otherwise there really is nothing to form a personality from, right? I mean, you're not, you're just doing it in, uh, in opposition to everything rather than in concert mm. with someone else. Exactly. And friendships last forever. You know, when you get involved with relationships with men when you're young and stuff and that, that can, that can really change your kind of outlook on, you know, future relationships and stuff. I, I mean, romantic relationships, but when you have that kind of basis of friendship, you know, that never, that never does go away, which is, which is so important um, and it's so it's so necessary to talk about and that's why I love 13 you know they're obviously they're, they get involved with boys on the side and everything but it is just about that female kind of connection um you don't see many movies like that anymore no about, about that you know no we don't and we we also we don't have well I was going to say that 13 sort of 
dips into a sensationalistic mode, but that's part of the that's part mm-hmm. of the machinery of the film. But also we do have Holly Hunter, right, as the as the adult uh center yes. of gravity that that yes. no one else has. Like she yes. she sort of knows where all this is going, but can't articulate it in any way mm-hmm. that will help. Mm-hmm. And there's just that little tiny moment where you see the resignation behind her eyes, like I'm doing exactly what I should do as a parent, but it's not going to work. And I have to understand, like, she has to make her own peace with it, even when she's furious. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, she's just such a fascinating. So I was just going to say, and I think she's an awesome mother in that as well. I think she really is, you know, I think she deserves all the credit for what she does do because she just loves her so hard. And that's all she can do. And like you mm. say, that resignation is there, but the, she has to, the, her role is never going to change as that mother you know it's it's always going to be there and she just holds on and then you see that lovely scene at the end where she holds on you know <laughs> and it's it's all that's why I just I yeah I just think her parenting's wonderful in it yeah and it's the film has so little time for her but we're mostly experiencing it from Tracy's point of view so Tracy has no time for her but I think that's the the appeal of, of the film to me as an adult watching it was not that I sympathize more with her, but I absolutely mm-hmm. saw her point of view in a way that maybe younger mm-hmm. viewers wouldn't be interested in. Yeah, definitely. Because it, it goes back to, you know, when you are a teen and like, like we were saying, those emotions are so felt, but the actions are so unjustified a lot of the time. And yeah. um, I still feel like that. Honestly, last week I found myself shouting at my mom and I was like, what am I doing? I was like, I'm 22. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. You know? And she... Yeah. You know, luckily she's had five kids. I'm her, I'm her baby. I'm, I'm, I'm so like, she's used to it. She says, it doesn't bother me. I said, I'm so sorry for raising my voice. And she goes, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> she just doesn't, it's water off the back. That's um, yeah, I know. I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, but it, yeah, like you're, so, you're right in terms of, you know, those actions from the teenagers. Like you, you can't, you hate them. You can't hate them because they hate themselves, you know? They hate themselves until they grow out of that. And and that's where the kind of, you know, the character with the morals and that, well, you know, she's an alcoholic in it. Oh, and she has that perfect. Struggles. Yeah, she she's completely flawed and raw and truthful character. But you 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 love her so much. That's where that's where the love, the love comes from the film. There always has to be, you know, love in a film, especially with a lot of hate and anger in it. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's the it's the base on which you build everything else. You have to see, yeah, we have to see where she came from before she we can understand who she is in that way. Yeah, um, definitely. And and don't, don't you know people say that anger, like you know, it does come from love in some kind of warped way. It come, you know, it, it's a, it's a hatred of the self and a, and a needing for kind of love and nurturing and and that's where Holly's character kind of you know levels out and balances and yeah. Evan, Evan, Evan's character and that it's so beautiful yeah um, I mean Reed has discussed it as being very very personal but I kind of hope her mom was her relationship with her mom was a little softer than than we see in the film because it just seems painful yeah because well sure like after the film she got a lot of kind of stick and kind of backlog of people's of, of hate towards her parents mm-hmm. and kind of through the tabloids and everything like that um and I think she but I've, I watch like all the Q&A's and the recent Q&A's and she seems to still hold like a lot of that kind of 
I don't want to say guilt, but about that kind of, you know, like she, she, she just still feels very sorry that that happened. And because everything that she was saying, especially like interviews and everything, she was still, she was 14 when she was doing all the interviews for that. So, you know, it was, it was still so fresh. Sure. Um, I think it seems from what I've seen that she still finds that quite hard that people have taken it as, as, as a first person story and that it's about her and that's her mother and that's her absent father. And she's like, no, 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 that's not, that was my 13 year old perspective, but that's not what I believe. And I, and I understand that fully. I think, you know, like going back to you feel what you feel, but in, in hindsight, things make more sense or make different, different sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's all about perspective. It's all about figuring out who you are based on what mm-hmm. you've been through, right? It's, I mean, this it's one of those cathartic things that we see in movies over and over again. You're seeing someone form their perspective and figure out who they are, but first we have to watch them go through all the wrong decisions. Yeah, exactly. Exact. And that's the fun of it, isn't it? <laughs> Trying to be on someone's side and realizing that like people are so changeable, you know, and like that you can't, and this is what I'm starting to kind of understand more and more as I grow up that, you can't you really can't separate good from bad a lot of the time obviously in cooler situations you can but you, you can't it, it, I, I'm learning this every time I find myself judging someone or finding a judgment upon someone and I kind of think no no, no, no why why are you having this judgment and you know everyone is always doing their best at that moment in time and I always have to remind myself of that um you know, it's so easy to feel like you're the, you're the right person and you're in the right and, you know, everything that you think is so valid and it's the truth. But it's not because, you know, everyone is doing the best that they can at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we're yeah. definitely we're dealing with an empathy deficit in so many different ways in the world right yeah. now. It's It's good to be reminded that, yeah, even the fictional characters are going through their own things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> We haven't really talked about the curse of Audrey Earnshaw, but I was trying to to put them together. They're not really, I mean, there's no real connective tissue. Uh, I can think, yeah. So for me, like when I was first approaching Audrey, it it was, Audrey's journey anyway was such a coming of age kind of thing for me. And of course, 13 and Audrey are completely on on different ends of the spectrum. (laughs) But in terms of, what she feels I think is very similar to what Tracy feels that's why I loved when I read it that anger and that like that rage and that wrath and that upset and that confusion of not only being a teenager growing up but being a teenager with an overly suffocating mother with a completely condemning society and that she you know there, there are so many other layers that I think should garner kind of empathy and understanding for Audrey in a kind of teenage way, you know, rather than just a witchy way. Yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I looked at it, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say her reality really has no connection to uh, to anything in 13, but the, you know, seen from a different angle, 13 could turn into a horror movie at almost any minute. It's, it's fraught with bad decision theater and, and the danger yeah. of things that go wrong. Uh, the Curse of Audrey Earnshaw just adds another level of um, metaphysics to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And that's, well, that's exactly how, like, I approached it, you know. I didn't, when I first read it, I didn't see it as simply as a possession movie. I didn't see it as simply as a supernatural folk horror. And, um, of course, those elements are 
prevalent in it. But the you know Agatha and Audrey, they are just a mother and daughter trying to protect themselves and trying to put themselves as women first um, in a society that won't let them unless they make this big decision that Agatha does make and makes this pact. And, you know, it's about how, how far, I guess, you'll go as, as a minority to kind of protect yourself. And, you know, maybe it goes a little over the edge and bad decisions are made. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> but I think, you know, I think the, 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 what I'm trying to say is that the choices and the justification and I think there is there that there is justification of the anger that is there and the upset and the confusion and the pain, you know, and it, yeah. it's universal and like, it, you know. Yeah, I think the 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 roots of all the great horror movies are when you have a little sympathy for the monster. I mean, when you when you understand yeah. at least where they're coming from. Mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And yeah. So before we go, is there? I mean, you you talked about writing uh, your own script. Is is that something that you? I mean, what's the next project? Is that the next thing you want to do, or are you just working towards something else at the same time? I mean, if I could get that made, that would be the next thing I could do. <laughs> but I don't think it's that simple. Um, yeah, like I mean, I I I'm a complete amateur writer, so I've just kind of written it. I you know, it's a first draft. Um, I've sent it to a few people, but. Um, if I could do that I would but at the moment I'm just auditioning a lot I'm kind of meeting people over Skype directors and stuff and I'm kind of just trying to get things rolling again nothing exact in the pipeline at the moment but it's just actually just recently started to kind of come through a lot more auditions are coming through and kind of yeah little things are kind of popping up which is which is exciting and but I'm just ready. I'm really ready. I'm tired, but I'm ready to go again at the same time, you know. Um, I'm sure you, you're the same. It's just such a weird time to be doing anything creative at all, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. just, we don't know what's going to be possible in a week's time. We don't know what's going to be salvageable from the before times. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying what's happening. I'm, I'm The stuff that's trickling out that deals with um communication and, and distance and all the things that we've experienced this year i think we're starting to see that happen in a creative form and i'm, I'm intrigued by it but i would also really just like to watch a car chase <laughs> yeah i feel you i know exactly um it's, it's so hard because i think now is the time that we need everything creative and beautiful in that way and at the same time it's getting to a point that it's really exhausting and it's like you know this industry anyway feels like the constant like well there's always hope you know it's like well like you get you can be so angry one day and kind of over it and throw the towel in and then you're like no, no, no there's always hope but now it's like okay this hope is really it's really stretching and kind of tense it's really starting to test me <laughs> um but at the same time i think if you need it you need it as a creative person then it'll always be there and yeah, i true. think as, as people they always need it too so i don't think we actually have anything to worry about no I that's true i mean i the, the there are nine other fast and furious movies right behind me i can always pull one of those out if i need them exactly just keep rewatching. i'm see i'm the sort of person i can rewatch movies over and over again i know a lot of people can't do that and hate that I do that, but I'm like, I just love, like, why waste my time on a movie that doesn't satisfy me if I can just, <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I can it's, kind it's of like the comfort, right? The, 
the sense that you're going to be comforted by the thing that you're about to watch because you know it inside and out. I, I get that. Yeah, I'm just finding new things every time. I see it as like, I don't know, it feels like a little project for me sometimes when I read. And I'm quite bad at memorizing, like remembering things from films as well. So I actually don't, it, it kind of helps me a bit to watch them a few times over. Okay. Uh, yeah. Which films are you, which films do you return to? What do I return? Well, obviously 13. I don't know how many times I've watched that. Um, what ones do I return to? Um, Blue Valentine. I love um they're all very sad movies aren't they there's all of them. <laughs> it's not a judgment um, yeah uh american beauty i love american beauty um i love fences i love that yeah. even though that's like a play you know that's like a proper <laughs> theater show always. um yeah there's loads they've, they've, they've flown my head at the moment but what about you what are you do you ever Oh, um, the one I return to more often than not is, I mean, it's my, it's one of my two favorite movies is Jaws, which is endlessly rewatchable because uh, it's yeah. a character piece. Ultimately, the monster is secondary. The shark is, it's really about the, the sort of trinity of masculinity formed by Robert Shaw and, and Richard Dreyfuss and Roy Scheider. And um, I got to see it in a theater last year. I've seen it a number of times in the theater, but um, uh, Paul Lee, who's, uh, who's a friend um, he and I have the same birthday, August 16th. So we gave ourselves a screening oh. of Jaws and inviting people and just, we, we made it a little fun event at this theater. Oh, and it, yeah, it was the first, maybe a hundred people. It, it actually, it was a really good turnout. And it was the first time I'd seen the movie with an appreciative audience in a long, long time. And they oh, really? brought it right back to life. Yeah. People mm. laughed in the right moments and it was genuinely scary. And yeah. Oh, it was terrific. And I love that movie. Jaws is the best, honestly. It really I know is. when when I was 16 doing um moving image arts, like filmmaking kind of course, that was like one of the movies that we had to overanalyze. So we'd get the same clip over, you know, it's like that it, like typical like introduction to film, like yeah. how is tension being <laughs> created here, you know? But it is, it's just I, I agree. I think it's a wonderful film. Yeah. Um, oh, it's textbook. It's it's just yeah. you know, it's the greatest accident ever because the shark didn't work and they had to find other ways of making it effective as a thriller. Yeah. And God, you just got you just get to watch all of these actors really finding characters and running with them and these little bits of business that they give the secondary performers and the tertiary performers. Oh yeah, no, we could, mm. we could talk about Jaws for a We could go on but I know, I'll go back and actually watch, I'll go back and watch Jaws. I haven't seen it in a few years. Totally. Hold on. <laughs> My thanks to Jessica Reynolds, who you can see right now making life hell for Jared Abramson and Don McKellar in The Curse of Audrey Earnshaw on VOD platforms everywhere. Thanks also to Angie Power. She knows what she did. You can find Jessica on Twitter at JessReynolds underscore, that's J-E-S-S-S Reynolds and an underscore, all one word. And you can find 13 on DVD from 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. It's also available in high definition on Apple TV and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where in addition to writing about film and television, I host a lot of podcasts these days. Go check those out. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps, it truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. I'm really liking The Hopeful. Stay inside, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time. <laughs>